You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 70. Today's Tidbit Tuesday is a little more technical than usual, and it's all about understanding exposure and photography. So if you're ready to transition from shooting in auto or program mode to manual mode, or you just want a refresher, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friend, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Thanks so much for tuning in and spending a little part of your day with me learning about photography. In our last Tidbit Tuesday episode, we talked about the different characteristics of light, how to effectively use whatever light you have, and how light shapes the mood of a scene or subject. And learning to read light is an essential photography skill that you can practice even without a camera. But learning to read light is just part of the equation to mastering your photography. Understanding how to then use the light you have to come up with a combination of shutter speed, aperture, and ISO to create the photograph you have in mind is a whole other critical skill set that we also need to learn and practice. In other words, we need to get comfortable with the exposure triangle, or as I like to think of it, the exposure pyramid which I'll explain more about in a moment. This week's topic of exposure was inspired by a question from one of our listeners. And as you know, I really love to hear from you. And so if you have a photography or outdoor related question that you'd like me to answer on the podcast, just click the link in the episode description, or you can contact me through the website at outdoorphotographypodcast.com. All right, let's listen to this week's question from Pilar. Hi, Brenda. I'm Pilar. I, I'm always listening to your podcast and you've got interesting topics. But I have, I'm a little bit confused about the exposure. If you can, if you got any time on it to further explain it, do you always rely on the histogram or the metering for the light, for the amount of light coming into the sensor? Uh, Just a little more about exposure. That's all. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pilar, for this great question. Understanding how to control exposure can be pretty daunting at first, but I assure you getting through the growing pains of learning exposure is something that we all go through, and it's essential to growing as a photographer. So let's start with some of the basics, like what is exposure anyway? Well, in digital photography, exposure is simply the amount of light that is measured by the camera sensor. And there are three things that control how much light is detected by the sensor. The intensity of the available light in the scene, the aperture of the lens, and the shutter speed. Now note that only two of these, the aperture and shutter speed, are part of what's called the exposure triangle. The third arm of the traditional exposure triangle is ISO, and it actually does not control the amount of light exposing the sensor, which we're going to talk about more in a moment. 
In my opinion, the exposure triangle doesn't really tell a complete story about exposure because it leaves out what I would consider the most important element, and that is the amount of available light. So I prefer to think of exposure more like a triangular pyramid or a tetrahedron of sorts, where the apex of the triangular pyramid is the intensity and nature of the available light, and the triangular base of the pyramid consists of what we would traditionally think of as the exposure triangle of aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. The light is at the apex of the pyramid because it helps us determine how then to modulate the aperture, shutter speed, and ISO settings. Now, while I don't think the terms exposure triangular pyramid or exposure tetrahedron have any chance of making it into the photography lexicon anytime soon, I do think it's valuable to keep the 3D aspects of it in mind when discussing exposure. All right, now let's quickly break down how each of the exposure settings works to control how the camera sensor records light, starting with shutter speed. You can think of the shutter of a camera sort of like a closed door that blocks any light from entering a dark room. And if you open the door, light will come in through the doorway and into the dark room for the duration that the door is open. Likewise, shutter speed is the duration of time that the shutter is open and allows light to hit the camera sensor. Longer shutter speeds expose the sensor to more light over time than shorter shutter speeds, and as such, shutter speed controls how much light exposes the camera sensor by controlling the amount of time the sensor is exposed. Okay, so now let's talk about aperture. Every camera lens has an internal circular diaphragm of overlapping blades with an opening at the center called the aperture. The aperture opening is like the pupil of an eye, and the diaphragm of overlapping blades in the lens is like the iris of an eye. So if you make the aperture opening wider, more light will enter the lens, and if you make the aperture narrower, less light will enter the lens. Now, you may have noticed that the farther you are from a light source, the dimmer that light appears to be. And that's because the intensity of light diminishes as it travels over a distance. This phenomenon can be measured mathematically by the inverse square law, which tells us that the intensity of light is inversely proportional to the distance squared from the light source. Now, if that sounds a little intimidating, no worries. Thankfully, we don't need to actually compute it we only need to conceptualize it. Basically, light intensity diminishes over a distance. Okay, so now picture in your mind a typical 50 millimeter lens. They're pretty small and lightweight. And now imagine a 500 millimeter lens. It's much, much longer and a lot heavier. In a simplified sense, focal length, 50 millimeters or 500 millimeters, refers to the length of the barrel of a lens. And the longer the barrel, the farther the light has to travel from where it enters the aperture opening to where it exits and finally reaches the camera sensor. And so the intensity of light that travels through the lens and exposes the camera sensor is dependent on both the diameter of the aperture opening and the length of the lens. And this is where the f-stop number comes into play and why they are so handy. So an f-stop or f-number is the ratio of the lens focal length divided by the diameter of the opening of the aperture. 
And as such, an f-stop represents the relative aperture of a lens. It's basically a way to normalize the aperture setting across different lenses that have different focal lengths. While the aperture is the physical opening of the lens diaphragm, the amount of light that the aperture allows into the lens is functionally represented by the f-stop. And in this way, the f-stop on one lens allows the same amount of light to hit the sensor as the same f-stop on another lens because it's accounting for that focal length difference. Now, shutter speed and aperture control other aspects of photography as well. For example, shutter speed is important for freezing or blurring motion, and aperture contributes to depth of field or the area of the image that's in focus. But I would suggest first getting comfortable with these two settings and how they control exposure before then delving into them more creatively. All right, so what about ISO? How does ISO fit into the whole picture? Well, first, let's clear up a couple of things about ISO. Some people say ISO, and I do too on occasion, but this is actually not correct. Many people think ISO is an acronym for the International Organization of Standardization, which develops the standards for things like film and camera sensors so that their characteristics can be compared across different manufacturers. However, according to the International Organization of Standardization's website, quote, because the International Organization for Standardization would have different acronyms in different languages, for example, IOS in English, ION in French for Organisation Internationale de Normalisation, our founders decided to give it the short form ISO. ISO is derived from the Greek word ISOS, I-S-O-S, meaning equal. Whatever the country, whatever the language, we are always ISO, unquote. And actually, perhaps it should be pronounced ESO, but I digress. Anyway, as I alluded to earlier, while ISO is considered part of the exposure triangle, it actually doesn't modulate how much light exposes the camera sensor nor does it change the sensitivity of the camera sensor to light. And these are common misunderstandings. Rather, ISO is a way of digitally amplifying the light signal already recorded by the sensor. The sensitivity of the camera's sensor doesn't change. The baseline sensitivity of a sensor is determined by the base ISO, and it is what it is. Beyond the base ISO, which is usually around ISO 100 for most modern cameras, adjusting the ISO just changes how much that recorded light signal is digitally amplified when the raw information of the file is then converted into an image file. So ISO is a setting that's applied on output, not on input like aperture and shutter speed. You can think of ISO as a way of adjusting the volume on the radio. The signal is already there. You just turn it up or down. Okay, so now that we've talked about the exposure triangular pyramid, how do we put it all together and create a well-exposed photograph? Well, I'll share with you basically how I approach exposure. First, I'll assess the nature and characteristics of the light in the scene or on my subject. And again, check out the previous Tidbit Tuesday, episode 68, for more information about how to do that. Next, I determine which exposure settings is most important, shutter speed or aperture. If motion is an important aspect to the composition, whether I'm photographing waterfalls and want to get that creamy look of the water, or I'm photographing a bird in flight and so need to use a really fast shutter speed, 
or it's windy and I need to freeze motion of my subject. However, motion might be involved. If it is, I will set my shutter speed first. Next, I'll determine which aperture I can use to let in the most light possible without compromising on the depth of field. And lastly, I'll set the ISO to the lowest setting possible, ideally around ISO 100, which is the base ISO for my camera and will yield the best image quality. Now, conversely, if depth of field is the key factor in my composition, say with photographing a close-up of a flower, then I will determine my aperture setting first, then set my ISO to the base ISO, and then determine which shutter speed is needed to get the exposure I want. Now, if I have a tripod and movement is not a concern, then using long shutter speeds is usually not an issue. And briefly, to go back to Pilar's question, she asked if I rely on the histogram and or camera meter to help me determine my exposure settings. And I discussed the benefits of histograms over meters back in episode 30, so be sure to listen to that for more information. But the short answer is yes, I use the histogram to help me determine my exposure settings and not the camera meter, which is only reliable under very certain conditions. All right, thanks so much for tuning in to this Tidbit Tuesday. As always, I appreciate you and I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you want to learn more about the details of aperture, f-stops, and how to use them in outdoor photography, and also go in much more depth about ISO, then be sure to check out the articles on these topics on the Outdoor Photography School website, and also a number of the previous podcast episodes that I mentioned that go into more detail on things like histograms, meters, and exposure compensation, and controlling exposure with filters. And links to all of these are in the show notes at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 70. Next week, we'll be sitting down with landscape photographer David Johnston to chat about being a content creator, how his approach to photography and teaching has changed over time, balancing work, family, and time for his own creativity, and a whole lot more. So be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite player so you don't miss out on this or any of our upcoming episodes. And until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.